Hello, I'm John Waters, and I'm supposed to announce there is no smoking in this theater, which I think is one of the most ridiculous things I've ever heard of in my life. How can anyone sit through a length of a film, and especially a European film, and not have a cigarette? But don't you wish you had one right now? Mmm, 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 mmm. And I'm telling you, smoke anyway. It gives ushers jobs. And if people didn't smoke, there would be no employment for the youth of today. So once again, no smoking in this theater. Mm. Uh oh, great. Good uh, point. Can, better. I, can I get everybody to leave their mic? Katarina? Oh, okay. <laughs> Heepa burns. Heffern. Um, can I get everybody to leave their mics on for just a sec, and we can get a few seconds of just white noise? Sure. And if I did my job right, you shouldn't be able to hear any of that, listener, because it should all be filtered right out. That's that new Noah Bumbach oh, so you're movie, leaving. Right? You're, you're leaving the sound I'm leaving test in the gap, the yeah. they got to have the evidence. Boy, they got to have the body, yeah. Right. I, it's we important. Could automate you out of this process, it's, Jason. It's, it's, uh, I'm writing a script right. I'm writing a Python script podcasting right now. Podcasting you out of fucking. It's business. like that one uh, expression: uh, the to see how the sausage is made. Everybody wants to see how the sausage is made, right? That's yeah. That's what that expression means. Because that's the of how whole delicious value of, yeah, it the is. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, yeah. how else would you know? I think what's I stole that from a TV show, but I can't remember what TV show it was. Hmm. We always are. We write. Most of my jokes are stolen from somewhere or another. Yeah. The I, good ones, anyway. <laughs> okay. Comedy Central roasts, maybe. Ouch. Do those still <laughs> Probably happen? not that in particular, but... I yeah, gotta, we got to establish roasts. where the boundaries are. So sure, somewhere above sure. Comedy Central roast. The yeah. Comedy Central roast of Catherine Hepburn, the- a.k.a. Folks, am I right? Sheesh. Is he right? Sheesh. Uh, it's it's funny that it's a roast of Catherine Hepburn because it was the opposite for her career. Thank you so much, listeners, for listening to Try Love. It's a literal roundtable podcast where we talk about movies we saw or people we met at the Trilon Cinema in Minneapolis, Minnesota. You can find us on Twitter at Try Love Podcast. You can find the Trilon at Trilon Cinema and at Trilon.org. My name is Jason Daphnis. I think I'm sweet. And you can find me on Twitter at Nintendoofus. I'm Cody Narvison. I won't be sober for the wedding. And you can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. This is the voice of Doom calling. Your days are numbered to the seventh son of the seventh son. I'm Harry Mackin. You can find me on Twitter at Shiitake Harry. And my name is Aaron, and I'd sell my grandmother for a drink. You know I love my grandmother. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter at RB Please. Uh, uh, Aaron, you took mine. Lol. Well. That's that's oh. inside baseball. You don't get to come at me for leaving fun bits in and then reference things that we said in the Discord. I, I don't like the inside baseball. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'm not coming. <laughs> the joke, dear listener. I, I, if we're if we're getting all saucy and yeah, bothered, let's by get it. saucy. Let's uh, show Aaron, Aaron, Aaron complained in the group chat. It's like nobody take the grandma line. The, the grandma line is mine. Nobody nobody take it. Uh, if you do, I'm going to kill you or whatever it is. That, that he did. He said he would friends. fucking kill me. It's amazing yeah. that even when he's but in a fair. group chat typing it still sounds like aaron grossman i've never figured out yeah. how he's managed it's, to do that it's a proprietary my, font my or something come through sure, well, i have yeah. a brand really i will, I will say how powerful your brand that i need I, to, your uh, i'm sorry I, I, I was trying to do i was trying to do james stewart did that come across wow. uh, aaron grossman uh, how about you wait to do james stewart until i mention his name in the the intro because then I'll, I'll hand it off to you somebody else do you guys mean do you guys mean jimmy stewart is that who you're talking about jimmy stewart jimmy yeah. Jamothy, uh, uh, can yes. we uh, take a sec to just recognize that this movie that we're about to discuss played at the Trilon yeah. as part of the prototypes for the rom-com series. It's going on 
all this month and in December of 2022, um, starting with, of course, today's film, uh, then The Father of the Bride, It Happened One Night, Sullivan's Travels, and Ball of Fire all through the month. Go check it out at trilon.org. It's on the homepage. But if you're listening to this afterward, I think right now it's on HBO Max as well, the film that we're talking about. If not, I can leave a link to an archive.org copy of it. There have been so many of those that I've been able to leave in the show links. Just check it out. Watch this movie. It's great. Uh, no spoilers, though, because Aaron actually has to tell us what the movie is uh, and what it's about before we actually get started talking about it. So do well, that. Technically, already yeah, I know yeah. I, I'm, I'm going to bleed yeah, that no, part out. That's fine. That's fine. Oh, you <laughs> be funny. Uh, we're talking about the Philadelphia story, a 1940 film. I didn't write the date down, but it's 19, 1940 film uh, directed by George Cukor uh, based on a Broadway play of the same name. It is starring. I mean, I mean, who we got Cary Grant. We got Catherine Hepburn. We got good old Jimmy Stewart. Cody. It really is. It's like the Avengers of 1940s movies. <laughs> That's true. But could we get a Cody doing Cody? I said Jimmy Stewart. Could we get a like we got one rule on this podcast. Somebody mentions Jimmy Stewart. Cody's got to come through first time. ever. I've got, got a, a, a well, I've got a I've got a voice for a James Stewart. I don't know who this Jimmy okay, is. Right. Are these my poker buddies addressing me by my nickname? <laughs> it's funny. I, I Google Jimmy Stewart and the name James Stewart comes up. It's like this weird. Mm. It's like, did you mean is this that a is um, a big, big left thing? tech yeah. trying to censor uh, the, the Elon? Voice of Elon is finally ha- having the effect <laughs> yes. that he intended. Yeah. Yeah, I'm always poll. saying that Jimmy Stewart or James Stewart. Uh, also, uh, <laughs> sorry Ruth to derail well. uh, Yes, oh, Ruth yeah. Hussey is the the fourth uh, member uh, of this cast that I'm going to mention. Wow, what a cast, folks! Uh, the film follows two reporters for the uh, I guess kind of humorously named Spy Magazine, uh, Macaulay Connor and Elizabeth Imbry, uh, who are assigned to cover the wedding of uh, rich socialite Tracy Lord. Uh, Lord was married two years ago to yacht designer Dexter Haven. Uh, but divorced him and now plans to marry George Kittridge, uh, who, unlike the uh, kind of the old money of Lord and Haven, uh, is new new money, uh, uh, nouveau riche, uh, you might say. Uh, Dexter manages to get Connor and Imbri uh, invited to the wedding, and things get very, very complicated when Tracy uh, falls for Connor and then must choose between uh, the three men uh, uh, previously mentioned, her fiancé, her ex, or Jimmy Stewart. Uh, the film was a smash hit and was nominated for six Academy Awards, uh, winning two. It won one for Stewart for Best Actor uh, in Donald Ogden Stewart screenplay. So Stewart and Stewart. Look at that. Kind of fun. Mm. Uh, the film is also notable, um, kind of tying into the the category uh, that the Trilon is kind of putting this in as part of their series. Uh, it's also notable for being a comedy of remarriage, uh, which was kind of this uh, a subgenre of comedy films that was kind of dubbed that after the fact, uh, but it was during the 1930s and 40s, um, films that attempted to kind of skirt around the stifling and conservative standards of the Hayes Code by having uh, its films have its characters break up, then have a lot of fun while they're broken up, break after after they've broken up in kind of ways that kind of skirt around the censorship laws, and then at the very end of the film, everything kind of comes together with a, a kind of a nice, neat bow, and they get back together. Um, because of this, the Philadelphia story uh, contains elements that kind of may seem out of place with what people might expect tonally uh, from a film from this era, um, and it's kind of comedic uh, uh, and some even non-comedic elements. Uh, Jason, that's what I got. Uh passing back to you thank you thank you um i should also mention just as context it might be a true discussion point of the film uh and we sort of talked about how it was uh maybe off mic about how it was a return to for katherine hepburn's career uh how she had like a series of stinkers before this and then she helped produce this yeah like bringing a baby did not bring up the box unfortunately classic film but not 
not Great film, not a no, winner yeah. at the box office. And it was considered like she was, you know, um, sort of past her prime. She wasn't really going to make another great movie. And she decided to sort of take matters into her own hands to a certain extent, helped procure the licensing rights, produce this movie, uh, sort of launched, self-launched the career. I mean, of course, there's a lot else that goes into it aside from her in making it a good movie, along with, like we said, the stellar cast of like two gigantically famous leading men at that time. Um, but just, it's always stuck with me that this movie was like, it's great. It's very fun. It's a classic. And it is like, it came after a string of bad movies for her and helped like cement her career as a Hollywood classic, uh, post 1940. I really, I've always found that interesting, especially since, because she's like kind of the bad guy who turns into a good guy by the end of this movie in a way. Um, like yeah. you said, she's always being poked at like Grinch, like, uh, I mean, like classically structured, obviously it breaks down that a lot, but like she is positioned as the, the one, uh, to like, to make th- that everybody else is bouncing off of and that like her opinions will be changed by the end of the movie. She's the one who needs to go undergo some kind of change to be more human by the end, less of a goddess, et cetera, et cetera. Anyway, just in terms of parallels there, I've, I've always found that fun. Um, I have always loved this movie. I've watched it since I was a kid. Um, the last time I did it was probably a few years ago and I was struck like Aaron said, how contemporary a lot of the humor feels, a lot of the writing, a lot of the story beats and stuff are just really, there's a reason that it's a classic. Um, I think that, this time around, I'm able to pick up on not that it's anything new, but uh, like it's clear depictions of class and the characters that embody those things. Um, like I've had forgotten that uh, Kittredge's nouveau riche that he like he talks about having been in the coal mine. And now that he's, uh, you know, a, a manager, a senior manager with, you know, the company that he's working at, um, he like the stylist to make his pants look dirty again, sort of thing, just like the way the ways that it plays those directly on the nose. I don't know if it's fortunately or unfortunately, James Stewart does end up having a, like a dialogue bit where he sort of like makes that very explicit toward the end. Um, but it does like the way that because we're, we have set those out so clearly at the beginning, the movie just gets to be a series of long dialogue takes basically where we unravel those and sort of play those against each other. And it's just so fucking fun. Like we get to all these snipes throughout and all this fun writing, even like rhythm just keeps going i mean it's you really have all the pieces of classic like fun conflict that they just get to bounce off each other for what almost two hours yeah it uh it the the comparison to to hepburn's i don't know if immediately previous film but but recently previous film uh bringing up baby i think is a a good one i think like something like the thin man too is that like the the number one thing about this movie is that there's not a single second when people are not talking they are constantly talking there are so many jokes but even it's maybe not as like jokey as something like bringing up baby but even when they're not joking they are having i think kind of strangely in-depth philosophical conversations yeah um the amount of like dialogue and just like this this is a film that is like this is a script you know what i mean it's like a almost two hour movie it is constant dialogue um in a way that like it seems very um representative of like screwball comedies from that era that were so much people talking back and forth and then maybe stopping for a second to to drink some alcohol and then talking back and forth again and again um i there's something i find very like comforting and charming about that in a weird way i wish it came back in some fashion today i don't know i could use one of these nowadays yeah 
couldn't we all um and couldn't we all use more of the the thin man movies which like first very quickly uh kind of fun uh james i guess aka jimmy stewart uh was in after the thin man and uh ruth hussey another co-star of this movie was actually in another thin man which i believe came right after so the uh the thin man franchise um permeates uh classic hollywood in more ways than one might expect just to say um you know i wasn't expecting it at all but mm-hmm. all that is to say um yeah i I don't have like as, as vivid of a history with this movie as someone like Jason does. I did watch it one other time previously, like six, seven years ago. And I think that was well before I kind of got more reps and understood the, the baseline vocabulary for like forties screwball comedy. Um, I, I took me a little bit to kind of pick up on the cadence of this movie. And by the time where I felt like I was maybe getting into a rhythm with it, uh, the movie was over um, because it does kind of float by. And that is like, that is a compliment. Uh, it, it moves and I definitely got more out of it uh, this time around. Uh, and part of that might be because I've seen, um, uh, I mean, I've seen a lot more movies since then, uh, but in particular, George Cukor, um, the uh, year or two before this, had a, a sort of similar, um, like thematically and, and just um, structurally, and it's it was another Donald Ogden screenplay, a uh, movie called Holiday. Uh, both of that, both of the stories um, have that subtext of you know kind of class consciousness um and just like relationships and and how things like money and like what our places are in the world feed into things uh like you know romantic interplay and that is another very um talk heavy script and uh, the fact that there is so much talking in these movies and again i i take this as a good thing while there aren't a whole lot of memorable sort of zingers that you would find on maybe like afi's top 100 quips list or something like that i'm sure they have a quip list somewhere um the these conversations really build up the like you really know who these people are and you take i don't know at least i i took away like some very literal and figurative images and i think that are those are the 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 images of these people are going to be sort of what i i take away from this and so all that is to say i like what's what's feeding into this particular movie and this particular flavor of movie um, very much. Yeah. I, um, it reminded me a lot of also obviously sort of the Barbara Stanwyck's that we watched that um, both yep. in terms of like the really sharp writing and in terms of the fact that like in a lot of those movies, um, what makes this movie work for me so well is like one, like, absolute raw star power, uh, all three of these actors. And I would actually say that, um, uh, Ruth Hussey completely holds it down alongside them, like an unbelievably heavy hitter, not known in the same sort of like breath as the rest of them. But uh, these are like it's it's three of the best performers, screen performers of all time at the height of their game. Right. And furthermore, I would argue that like this movie understands their like uh like respective strengths, like very few scripts I've ever seen. In particular, it's so funny how like Cary Grant's character in this works so well because he's Cary Grant. And like, it kind of gets to paper over the fact that he's a fucking despicable human being (laughs) throughout this movie because he's just so charming. Like he comes in and he charms the pants off of, um, Catherine Hepburn's mom and, uh, younger sister. And it's like, oh, if this was anybody but Cary Grant in that scene, it absolutely wouldn't work. Um, Jimmy Stewart's got such a different energy, but like he's so much fun to sort of like root for as he bumbles, right? Like he can he can capture both um, arrogance and sort of lovability at the same time and hold them together so well. And Catherine Hepburn 
in my mind, brings what is actually kind of an underwritten character to the forefront because, and maybe this is where we'll depart a little bit. Um, I think the gender politics of this movie are rough. <laughs> Um, like oh, the, yeah. the movie yeah. spends the entire oh, yes. second act, like really, really trying to get you to believe that everything that's happened to the despicable people around Catherine Hepburn is actually her fault for being sort of like vaguely withholding and judgmental, right? Like this is literally a movie that opens with her being beaten by her ex, her husband, and then spoilers at the end, them getting back together because she has realized that by being such a shrew and being so judgmental, she actually drove him to drinking and hitting her. So it's actually okay that they get back together at the end because she learned her lesson. There's another speech right after that first speech where her uh, dad accuses her of essentially driving him into the arms of another woman by not being uncritically adoring of him enough as a daughter. And it's like, what the fuck are you talking about movie? So like, it really like, it makes me feel a lot better about this movie that Catherine Hepburn had such a big part in bringing it to life. Right. And in advocating for this character, because I loved her in this throughout and I did not like want to see her put her in her place the way that this movie, like very clearly wanted me to see her put in her place. Um, and I, I think that the class politics do a pretty, like a better job, certainly than the gender politics of sort of like communicating why we might feel that way. Right. Like she does at one point, offer Jimmy Stewart a house after she's known him for five minutes because it's like, well, like I can just do that, (laughs) you know? And, and he's sort of like, Oh, well, like, I don't think that I want to be the type of person who like has a patron for the rest of his life. And she's like, well, that seems rude. And it's like, does it, does that seem rude to you? I want to take so, the house. Yeah. No, I mean Just like a guy like me, I'm a little honestly, bit different. I, I don't know, man. 2022's come back around, right? It's like, I would absolutely. Oh take. yeah. Also like, oh, absolutely. Yeah. I love the, the complete writer's dream. It's like here, here, this is a, a rich woman who falls in love with a socialist, uh, even though his personality is stinky because his writing is just so good. Right. It's, <laughs> Like it's every man's dream. It's but like, then he's she an goes for the guy with yeah. the cleft chin. Yeah, yeah, I mean that's the, In the end. Uh, <laughs> so I think that like my and this is my first time seeing this movie, and I um I it's sort of one of those classic 1940s movies where it's like it's so fucking charming and so much fun to watch that it's like it's so much more. Uh, I like it so much more than I think it deserves to be like. <laughs> in in some ways, if, if that makes sense, because it's like oh, like I I think that the the sort of message on display here is somewhat atrocious. Um, yes. I just love these characters so much, and I love all three of these actors so much. All four or five of these actors, right? Because even um, uh, the the little girl, um, what's her name in this? Uh, Dinah. Dinah, yeah. Dinah Lord. Yes. Virginia um, Wilder. Wilder. Um, she's amazing in this movie. They all are. Um, uh, so it's sort of like one of those things where like, I can hold it at a little bit of a distance and just really love it for the amazing guy- dialogue delivered by some of the best actors who ever lived, um, even if I sort of have to... Um, you know, <laughs> get, yeah. Get over the fact that it it does some really wild things with its characters. Yeah, it, it jams yeah. a lot into that pill to swallow. Like, I quite like where this movie goes with um Catherine Hepburn's uh, characterization as this, like the the aloofness, the whatever, the, the stuff that basically you know the movie is going to try and teach out of her. The you know being withholding the stuff that you that you said, Harry, like just elements of her character that it's like this isn't attractive to men, so it's got to be baked out of her kind of thing. It packs that alongside what I think is like rather compelling and like at least like a fun 
um, inversion of expectation where the I'm thinking of uh, Kittredge's like one of his last interactions with her where um, he's like basically again this thesis statement of his character is like he's built her up to be this uh, a polished statue of a of a thing rather than a real human being that has he literally refers faults. to her as a statue right, at one right. point what, right what like it's it? very very clear it was uh, in the just post or just before they fir- she first goes swimming and they're at the pool house and um uh dexter is talking to her and they and they say hey connor just wait and listen you're the writer pay attention to every word and they just start bickering and it goes from these like uh cuts from them bickering and arguing and like getting really vitriolic back to hit back to connor just uh sort of cringing and then eventually he just leaves and they don't notice um in that scene he talks to her about being like uh, having like a, some semblance of human frailty sort of thing. And I mean, I, I, I'm just reading what's on the screen, but it is, I like that element. I like the fact that it is like bringing that into the fold where she has these expectations of her performance of her like class and her highborn, like, you know, lifestyle that she earnestly wants to subvert somehow. She wants to undo. She wants to let go of in some way. And, you know, but it says like, oh, along with that, like one, you'd feel more accomplished as a human being. You'd get like more personal satisfaction out of that, you whatever. But it's also saying like, oh, these same changes will make you more attractive to men. They will make you like more appealing to people of, uh, you know, to, to men who may want to marry you um, or rather that you may want to marry to men to, I guess, literally to the man who abused you in your, the last time you were married to him. So it does marry like it, it unfortunately squishes both of those lines of messaging into one narrative. Uh, and yeah, it's not all sweet. It, it, some of it goes down sour at the same time. Yeah, I think that that's well characterized. And I I mean, I love Catherine Hepburn's character and I love her entire arc in this. I just feel like I was hoping for the burden of change to fall on different shoulders, right? Because at least from my perspective, and this is a very 2022 perspective, or maybe it's just the fact that she's so charming throughout the movie. Um, I never saw the sort of like stoicism or uh, standoffishness that mm. all of the characters repeatedly tell me I'm supposed to be seeing out of Catherine Hepburn. Instead, to me, she she was like a combatant, right? She was like this fiery personality who wasn't taking shit from anybody, including her mom, including her dad, and who was too smart for the world that she was a part of and was kind of frustrated that everybody saw her in this way because of her status and because of her wealth that is not actually who she was, right? So I thought that the movie was going to be about people People coming to see her for who she actually is. But in fact, the movie kind of does that in the sense that um, Jimmy Stewart falls in love with her, right? And obviously doesn't see her as a statue. He sees her as, quote, a woman of flesh and blood, unquote, with uh, what does he also say? Hearth fires and holocausts inside her, which I thought was a hilarious yeah, and kind of weird line. line. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a great line. Um, but he... Uh, but at the same time, she like definitely has this arc, right? We're like, oh, like now I understand, like through these, um, not quite infidelities, but, but through drinking, I have sort of like come to come back down to earth and I understand that I'm a human. She does this great thing where she calls back the line that was spoken to her to Jimmy Stewart, very pride and prejudice like, right? Where she's like, she's lecturing him about how he needs to have more, um, empathy for human frailty and ends up accidentally reciting what her ex-husband said to her directly. It's a really great moment. Um, I guess my problem with that is that like her ex-husband said that to her. That's the same guy. The movie opens with him shoving her through a door so that she falls, which again, like it's kind of a funny, weird sort of, you have to, 
I don't want to meet them halfway, but like there's this moment in the very first scene where it looks like he's going to strike her. And then instead he sort of just shoves her face back through the door. I think that's supposed to be the movie's evidence that like, oh no, he didn't actually ever hit her. For me, it's like shoving a woman down and hitting a woman are both abusive. (laughs) Like you don't get sort of like an out for that. And she very much kind of, yeah, she very much has that 1940s like, you you lunk you, oh, you rascal scam. look and then yeah. the fade you know it's it's and it's like question, nah yeah. like <laughs> I guess my sensibilities are a little different than that yeah. um but uh so I guess like I and particularly the fact that like I found um that character right her her ex husband Cary Grant C K Dexter Haven to be sort of this like puckish like. Uh, messenger of change, right? Like he knows who everybody really is and he's going to get them all to come together and undergo this evolution. He's like the catalyst for that. But that means that he was right all along, right? And he never had to change, which means that this movie's sort of interpretation of his extremely self-aggrandizing, extremely self-pitying speech where he basically says, my wife was so mean to me that it drove me to alcoholism and beating her. The, the movie is like pretty on his side about that through out and i was sort of like oh no like i'm not on his side about this whatsoever do you know what i mean and so like i think that like it's tough for me to swallow this idea that that she has to become more human when a i don't really see that i don't really agree with the thesis even though everybody's telling me that and then b it's all wrapped up with this other thing right which is that like you have to learn to accept that the men in your life are going to treat you like absolute dog shit (laughs) Oh, I saw a mic on. I wasn't sure. Um, so are you saying that it is uh, like it's sort of saying that she's going to need to be able to stoop to his level to find like because there's something that drew them together in the first place? Like, and is the movie trying to say, do you think of that of uh, Tracy's character that she's going to have to like that um, that ability to like sense human frailty? I forget the exact line, but that ability to like become more human is going to bring her off of that. Uh, high stoop that like drove the man to drink sort of thing. Are, are you saying yeah, that like well, that's it's what putting, the movie it's sh- is saying. her shoulder that entirely? Yeah. Absolutely. And and like I just think it's a false equivalency, right? Mm-hmm. Because she she cannot I mean if she fell to his level she would be physically abusive to him because he was physically abusive to him or to her while he was an alcoholic. Mm-hmm. And it's sort of like this idea that like she has to learn her lesson and learn to be a little bit more empathetic ab- about the guy who is abusive to her. Uh, is like, nah, I don't think she has to learn that particular lesson. Like, it's great. Like, don't get me wrong. Like, there's there's a very, this in general, because it's sort of a remarriage uh, comedy, there's a very Shakespearean element to this movie where like, I, I particularly like in the second act where like, because Jimmy Stewart and Catherine Hepburn are both so repressed, the minute they start drinking alcohol, these like true feelings come out and they can't resist each other, right? There's something like so, so charming about that. And like, I understand that that's like the movie's thesis, right? That like, oh, these are the characters who are repressed, who have to learn not to be repressed so that they can see each other as human beings instead of status symbols or instead of these sort of like um, oppositional forces. Um, The problem is I, for me, I guess Cary Grant standing outside of all of that, not being implicated at all at any of it. And along with Cary Grant, also the dad who has no sort of comeuppance. And in fact, it's the last line of the movie where he tells his daughter, he's proud of her finally. And it's like, I don't give a shit if that asshole is proud of her. (laughs) Right. It's like, I don't know. Like I'm, I'm on her side. I'm with hashtag. I'm with her. I guess is what I'm saying. <laughs> the the movie is. I, I I think you're kind of 
kind of right on the money, but with kind of the caveat that like the movie is, I think, very messy about all of that stuff, but also more nuanced in its characterization of all of these, all of the, the people that we meet in this film in a way that is like still kind of fascinating, despite the fact that I think that it's, it's kind of not sticking the landing and it's very messy, but like it's going for it in a way that mm-hmm, I find kind mm-hmm. of interesting. Right. Like I, I find the, the, uh, the way that it kind of brings up the, the idea of class and how it kind of impacts all of these characters and, and, uh, specifically the character of like George Ketridge uh, is like a character that I think in any other movie would be so much more dopier than he is in this one. Right. Like, but it kind of needs him to be dopier to work, but right. also isn't well, taking that shortcut. So that's like, another I, great thing. Right. Is that like, yeah. just like the movie is telling her that she's so standoffish. She it's constantly telling us that this guy is a moron. Right. And he's a ladder climber. He's like, <laughs> he, just seems he like wants to go into politics, nice but he seems fine. He's like perfectly. He's the like, less shitty of all of these people. He's perfectly capable of holding yeah. his own conversation conversationally with all of these people and so i'm like i straight up don't see the characterization that they're trying to tell me which was also something that i thought was true of Catherine hepburn's character personally but but also i'm willing to i'm willing to go along with the conceit of the film being that like maybe Catherine hepburn's character is also just doesn't love him for those reasons right we're like yeah maybe he's not as shitty as everybody thinks but all of these characters are kind of flawed in interesting ways so i'm i'm kind of willing to accept that these characters are not kind of uh, a perfect examples of the archetypes that they're kind of supposed to fit into in a weird way. Um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, totally. It's very, uh, I think, easy to watch this. And if you have a podcast uh, where you talk about movies um, through like discussion, land upon a, a, a different version of this movie where instead of the, the nuanced mess you get, um, sort of how we've all in so ways gestured at, uh, in so many ways, rather, this being a movie where it's by the end, it's a woman essentially picking between three dudes. And in this version, again, it's, there's a lot of nuance to the characterization of these dudes. And there's a lot of, I mean, uh, there are a lot of words that they exchange to each other because the, this is, again, a very talk heavy screenplay, but there just as easily could have been a version of this movie where it is, um, you know, Catherine Hepburn, very fleshed out character. And it's, you know, uh, perhaps a movie with less star power as well. If you need to kind of like knock these, um, you know, and not get like uh, a a level stars, you know, knock them down a few pegs, and and you know, if, if that's what you need to sort of sell the idea of, you know, these are less well articulated people, and they all represent a very specific period of her life or very specific extreme caricaturized sensibility um, might be less rewarding because I think seeing um, the degrees of nuance in somebody like uh, Cary Grant's character or James Stewart's character is also rewarding in its own way, even if it is, um, you know, dancing around the the 1940-esque sensibilities that we're never going to escape from a, a movie like this, not to just like chalk it up to that, but, you know, it's uh, it's definitely prevalent and it's also sort of obvious, uh, sort of obvious how this based on this movie's interpretation by, by viewers and like awarding guilds, the, the fact that, um, I guess like James Stewart and Catherine Heppard were both up for the Oscar for lead. Um, and th- I guess that was sort of striking to me. The fact that, um, J- Stewart in this is, 
not only seen as as a lead and one of the best leads of the year, but he did indeed win the Oscar. And if I read my IMDb trivia correctly, um, which we all know is is gospel and you know canon to to real life, uh, he always felt weird about winning Best Actor for this movie, and he always sort of jokingly chalked it uh, chalked it up to um, you know how every sounds are oh they they're rewarding me for my work I did on Mr. Smith Goes to Washington last year, uh, which he didn't win the the Oscar for. So I don't know. I, I not that that necessarily draws us to any draws us any firm conclusions, but I, I, I we're just playing, or rather, I'm just playing armchair director, and I'm I, I again, I, I think I sort of agree with Aaron that the it's it's messy, but um, I'm uh, the the nuance um, and the the weird sort of degrees to which these characters go. I I, I don't know. I, I enjoyed that well enough, and it, it made for it made for a fun mess. Yeah, I mean, for for one thing, uh, Jimmy Stewart is wrong. This is one of his best performances. This is Great. maybe yeah. I fucking no love, Harvey. I love him in this movie so much. It ain't no That's Harvey, true, but it's it pretty no good. Harvey. It's no fucking Harvey. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, yeah. I think that I think that I agree with both of you, and I really like what you're saying about the nuance of particularly the the main trio, right? Jimmy Stewart, Catherine Hepburn, um, Cary Grant, to a lesser extent. Um, particularly the the um, character arcs, the parallel character arcs that Cary or that uh, Catherine Hepburn and Jimmy Stewart go on in this are fabulously compelling to me. Right, this idea that like these are both people who sort of like. It backs to a corner whether or not they put themselves there. They have come to see these people around them as nothing more than oppositional forces or sort of like um, symbolism, right? It's like Jimmy Stewart cannot see Catherine Hepburn as anything other than a rich woman. Right. Like he comes he comes in like charging with like 1940s, like pseudo socialism into this house. It, it rocks, actually. It's super charming for me. Um, meanwhile, she has sort of like discounted Cary Grant as a drunk, right? Like she said, like, oh, he was just a, a drunk and a buffoon. And that's what all men are. And that's why I'm settling for this guy I don't really love because the scales have kind of fallen from my eyes. She never says this, but there's sort of the sense that like she's given up on the idea of true love. And that's why she's marrying this guy that she clearly is sort of like too good for. Although again, I didn't really see that in the uh, movie itself. Um, I think that the reason why these nuances are so pronounced and so compelling is why the movie's particular conclusions that they come to bothered me as much as they did. Because if this is a movie that has lots of nuance for those characters, it is one that does not have the same amount of uh, nuance for, I mean, it's a, it's a movie that breaks sympathetic for everybody, I think, except for arguably Catherine Hepburn, which is nice, but I, I just think it has considerably too much sympathy for a couple of the characters, right? And I know I sound like a broken record maybe here, but like, particularly like, there's a line that the, there are some really out of pocket things said in this movie. <laughs> the, the dad, the patriarch of the family at one point, he looks at his wife and he says, you're very wise, my wife. Not many wives know that a man's infidelities very rarely have anything to do with her. And she just has to swallow that for the rest of the movie. And I was like, oh, when is the anvil going to fall on that motherfucker's head? Right. It's like she anvil's never going to fall. on. Yeah, no, 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 I mean, right. it's, it's, never, it's no. like it's like the it's like the moonstruck moment, right? Like the fear of death thing right he goes on to explain that like he goes after young women to convince himself that he's not growing old or to like remind himself there, of his youth right? i think that that movie comes to a very different conclusion about sure. male infidelity than this one does i think that that's a false equivalency jason you fucked up bringing up moonstruck buddy <laughs> no i didn't fuck <laughs> no, up. Moonstruck's very great. precious about it oh yeah um 
Yeah, I I think that uh the the thing about this movie is that it's it's simply just having so much fun that you are also having fun, right? Like it's yeah. really difficult not to be swept up in all of this. And especially like Cary Grant is irresistible in this role. He really is. Like and so it's it there's almost something nefarious about that, right? But it's like you understand why Catherine Hepburn arrived at the conclusions that she did. And when you consider that like you said everybody's messy and that's the point of this movie, right? Is that um, trying not to be messy, trying to sort of be steadfast in your own um, would be affected thoughts or beliefs or sort of like uh, what you the person you want to be rather than the person you are. That's why both Jimmy Stewart and Catherine Hepburn had the messiness that they did in the second act of this movie, right? Is because both of those people were fundamentally pretending to pe- be people they weren't. They they were too proud. They were too prejudiced. I'm making another Pride and Prejudice reference, but you see you see what I mean, right? It's just that I think that like because that is the only sort of uh, dimension being examined in terms of uh, human growth, it comes at the expense of a lot of people getting away with a lot of things that they shouldn't just because they're at least honest about it. <laughs> I guess. Yes, the. The, I think that, you know, the the general, I think, thesis statement of the film is like, it's okay to be messy every once in a while. Uh, Very much so. Like, and like, that's so... Is, yes. It's, it's okay great. to black out two times, is yeah, what the film is yeah, saying. Yeah, rocks. Get <laughs> wasted twice, but don't get no more than twice. Like, right, well... Get wasted twice. That's what's so and, funny uh, to me about this yeah. movie, is that it's so... It's so aggressively non-puritanical in some ways, right? Where like I think yeah. the o- the ultimate over under really is sort of like sympathetic to this idea that like hey, we're all human, nobody's nerfect. Like you may think that you have sort of like perfectly internally coherent logics that define who you are and your character, you don't because like Jimmy Stewart is just around the corner and he's going to seduce the pants off of you, right? But like that follows with a lot of weird class sort of like return to normality stuff like i really don't like i guess where these characters end up where it's like once you realize you're a human you must return to the class in which you were born (laughs) or or something along those lines i found the the ending i guess maybe we can talk about it kind of wild on that by that token as well yeah it's a case of you know i i think it is a case of the film not intentionally being subversive about that kind of stuff. Like there's totally a reading this film where like all of these characters with one, uh, well, no, no, the, the two of three of the main characters in this film are kind of rich shitheads. They remain rich shitheads and they make those decisions because they are rich and shitheads. And like, that is, that is kind of the reading of the film. I don't think that's what the film is like. No, intentionally going for as much as we can kind of, you know, uh, apply that to the film. But I think that's kind of maybe what happens and what I kind of like about it anyway. We're like, I, I do like Cary Grant's character, despite the fact that he is one of those shitheads, right? Um, and I, I can't justify the internal, like, ethics or, like, morality of the decisions the characters make at the end of the film. But, like, I'm kind of willing to go along with it, uh, partially because I, I enjoy, you know, the events that are happening, but also partially because, yes... Cary Grant is just he's going to sell that uh, as much as anybody can, I think, at the end of the day. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I mean, as far as the the ending of this movie goes, uh, this movie goes again, as I've said, and we all have said, this is, you know, less not formulaic, but there, there's less of a driving sort of architecture to this movie that allows for this mess to, to sort of exist. And by the time we get 
by the time we get to we get to the end even with me revisiting it i, I after uh you know not like a super long time but i kind of forget or i forgot where exact like kind of what the trajectory of this movie was uh, other than we've got a wedding and people are sitting down and so what's going to happen and this the sort of fly by the seat of her pants approach of Tracy Lord being you know hey uh Kitridge there are some things that you are never going to be able to accept about me and I accept that and it that sort of Seinfeldian mutual breakup that never happens sort of happened um the the looking at and then looking at James Stewart. Hey, listen, the short term fling was pretty great, buddy. We went for a really nice swim. Uh, we blacked out. Uh, you were one of my two blackouts. Um, but I, I feel like we can't build a life upon these sort of blackouts. And also, you have a woman in your life who's clearly in love with you. So maybe you should stop being a, a poophead about that. Um, and then and then saying yes to to C.K. Dexter Haven, who in various other ways throughout the movie has subtly and not so subtly shown that he's maybe not that same person who, uh, who abused her in a previous life. Um, and that he would, is, you know, striving to be better in other ways, indulging in some blackmail, uh, of his own. That's who doesn't love uh, a good blackmail. Um, and then the fact that we weren't sort of pointing to that at the end and we're all waiting for two hours for Tracy Lord to, to make a particular decision. The fact that it eventually did by all the, the twists and turns lead to her seizing, seizing control of her life in like scare quotes, because the, the less nuanced version of this movie would paint it that way. It's like, this is a movie about a woman taking control of her life. Um, but even just saying that, like there, there's so, <laughs> there are so many other things playing into, um, like where this movie ends up, but the fact that it's, that it is so messy made the the genuine uh, explosion of exuberant, candid emotion. Like it really sold it. Uh, like that really got. Like I, I was sold on that in in a very sort of sweet way. Um, it's it, again, we're flying by the seat of our pants as we do sometimes in life, and um, you know, hey, something to think about. And so, yeah, it's. The and then the shutter click at the end being the the nice little um, weird note to end on. Yeah, I don't know. It, like it doesn't match anything that necessarily came before it, the the last you know five to ten minutes of this movie, and I most like it more for that. Yeah, I think that it's another case where there are some things that work for me so well that the things that don't work for me well are really highlighted. Yeah. Um, I think that uh, Catherine Hepburn's final speech, uh, Tracy Lord's final speech to her would be paramour. Uh, which is so funny, right? Because he's such a fucking slimeball. He writes her this breakup letter, basically. But then he shows up and he kind of tries to worm his way back in at the last minute and be like, oh, you didn't actually have sex with him. You just kissed him. Well, <laughs> I guess that's all right. I think. Well, and then she rejects him. So it's like a really great turnaround. Um, amazing. That's like one of my favorite scenes that like is the moment where Tracy Lord finally embraces her humanity, her human side. And it's really a, a wonder to see. Um, and then it's followed by this like wildly jarring, again, totally Shakespearean, almost like measure by measure moment where like in the course of a single line, she re rejects the man who was her sort of romantic opposite for the entire movie and then gets together with her ex in like one other line. And under the auspices of this idea that like there is a wedding that was supposed to happen. Well, shucks, I guess we, we fucking just have to have a wedding. <laughs> I loved that like conceit that it's like, it'll be the end of the world. 
if somebody doesn't fucking get married up there, so we might as well do it. And it's just like, guys, like you can just call the fucking thing off. It's not like <laughs> they, they'll be kind of pissed off, but like Jesus, like but you don't some have, of some like, of my mountains of wealth will be mildly depleted by right. all this. It's like, did I fundamentally watch. misunderstand what a wedding is? Is somebody going to get executed if somebody doesn't get married at the end of this movie? <laughs> they drown them um, in the pool. Right, exactly. But uh and like also just the fact that like maybe I'm too stupid for this. Maybe like or maybe it's another script problem. I understand that that Cary Grant is supposed to be sort of like almost the Count of Monte Cristo in this movie, right? Like he is a different man than he was. He has he has learned from his mistakes. He is sober, he has a job, he is here for one reason, right? Like he's here to defend the honor of his former family because it turns out that he was also like blackmailed into doing this right because he was going to release the article if he or uh his boss was going to release the article um if he didn't go through with the plan so the, this was never his plan in the first place but like he manages to pull it off right he turns the tables he's sort of like the um the real agent at play in all yeah, of this yeah. and at the end he get, but like to me there was no real like uh, Maybe Catherine Hepburn and Cary Grant just convincingly hated each other so well that I was like, wait a minute, those guys don't like each other. <laughs> yeah. I was like, no. oh, well, like I really didn't want them to get together at the end of the movie, I it, guess. It really right? is, like it's it's asking one of the first scenes with Dexter in it is that scene where he's being where they're all being assigned to go cover this socialite marriage. And by the end, one of the things that they state there is like he's in it to like get back at his like we know poetic dramatic irony whatever that um that he's not that he's actually obviously there to win her back. This is a romantic comedy. It's uh Cary Grant. It's Catherine Hepburn. It's he's not actually there to ruin things for her. Not there just to like get one over on her. But the movie I think is putting a lot like it, that's a huge amount of emotional weight and like just thought process reason to apply to such a not strong plot ter I guess like th that motivation the like I cannot overstate how much weight they want that turn to bear that like he's not actually there to ruin it he's there to get her back and it's like you kind of know the whole time every time he interacts with somebody like because whole... it's Cary Grant right? exactly and, and again it, it's like it, it, oh it's because they cast the most charming person in history to yeah. be this guy but it yeah I, it just feels because like a, like like, a, like it, it, it's 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 not as heavy as they maybe expected it to be, or maybe it just doesn't right. matter because again, it's fucking Cary Grant. Right. Well, but it, especially when like, and this is the other side of Cary Grant that maybe works against this is that Cary Grant is also like naturally extremely impish uh, and like very, very fun to watch be sort of mischievous and charming. Right. And his spoken motivation for 90% of this movie is, oh yeah, I did all this to get revenge on my ex-wife. Yeah. And, and it's like, oh, and like, we're kind of supposed to be like, fuck yeah, dude. <laughs> Like dudes rock, go off. Uh, yeah. But I no, I know, I know that's she not broke totally his golf clubs, bro. That's true. She did. I mean, you don't break a man's golf it, clubs, I guess. You don't. That's right. Um, do they make those things out of wood, or did she just have I a dynamite? I don't think that's supposed to be a metal. It can't be. It no, can't man. be aluminum. Yeah, it's not but, like an Iron Man ass. There <laughs> was a there was a <laughs> Back moment then, when for sure they were made of wood. Yeah, there was a moment when I I had conventional ideas of uh, golf clubs in mind, and I saw her smash that over her knee. I was that oh, was God. probably the horniest that this movie has made <laughs> me. Unlocked something within uh, Harry here. Yeah, that's the note I want to go out on. I don't know about you. Guys. <laughs> yeah, no. Look, hey, junk drawer that. thoughts. We that. open the junk drawer. What's inside? It's a note. We open the note. What does it say? Harry's horny. Harry's horny. That's all it says on the note. We burn it. What? We, we burn it. And we wait for the next one to show up. Um, that's right. Uh, Cody talked about the 
uh, sort of quips and the really whip like fast writing of this it's movie. It's so good. It is it is very good. It is very much like a sort of polished pearl of its like of of the style of writing that it is. I forget if it was Cody mentioned that it doesn't lend itself super well to like one-offs and uh, like one-liners. Like you might not see these on AFI's greatest. Like there are a couple lines that do stick out, but they're mostly expository. They're mostly like sort of philosophizing. The funniest, most impactful lines are such a product of the performance along with the writing. Uh, like the sort of beats somebody will do. They do the several things several times. And I'm not sure whose idea it was, but was to just repeat lines here and there. And this is, I guess, halfway juncture. I thought we actually Especially have. Especially when Cary Grant is drunk. Oh my god! Or, no, uh, it's, it's when Jimmy, Jimmy Stewart, Stewart is drunk. Yeah. Jimmy Stewart. Yeah. It's like there's that one line where he's like, uh, he's bubbling his way through the conversation with Dexter, and he says, "But of course, women like to romanticize about things." And he's like, "Yes, they do, don't they? Don't they?" And Connor's like, "Yes, they do, don't they?" And pours himself another drink, just like fun, rep- like repetition of lines. Um, like the added the line near the end where Dexter or sorry, Kittredge is giving his whole spiel about like a man he expects a man's wife, um, and Tracy says like to behave herself naturally, and then out of the corner Dexter just impishly is like to behave but to behave herself naturally, and then the camera like oh my that's zooms such between like them a, again, and he like he oh ex- this guy really did he makes win it, best <laughs> screenplay right he makes it's it text like, he's like you know he just he just reads the line he's like sorry and then moves on like they finally made it very much text that this is kind of a bit that they've been doing for the last two hours of the movie i I just i just had to get at it because i didn't i think i knew what the writing was doing the first few times i watched this as a kid and then everything else has sort of come but then i realized like there is no way you have this like you can't just recount these lines and have them be funny i'm ruining them by even seeing them on a podcast because it's really you got to be watching these characters doing their faces doing their pausing their body like motions and stuff just there's not like this could not for me be anything but a movie i don't understand that it was a play before but like just the focus that you can have on every small detail really goes into the entire thing for me no totally and i i can't reiterate enough how much it's not uh a dig at this movie that it's not something that we can watch and come away with with just like a list hey these are my top five zingers spoken by the main handful of characters in this movie um because like the because again the the conversations are so rapid and you know the the more the most extreme example of this perhaps you know it's not like i can i came away from his girl friday with like seismic quotes that um that the movie sort of allowed my girl to, to, to digest yeah, that, that's my girl, Fri- comma, Friday, um, because that's like the the most words permitted of any movie ever made or, or something like that. Um, the As Jason um, articulated pretty well, so I, I won't really belabor the point, but like that, that work feeds into other areas of the movie. And I like that I can come away and really get a sense of how messy and incomplete these these people are these characters are i i'm totally fine taking away from this you know like images instead the the fact that you know all of the all of her her posturing all of tracy lord's posturing that she did earlier in the movie having that be um coupled with her like like the physical act of her shielding her eyes from the sun as she walks out of her her house hung over like that got um a huge laugh out of me the sort of wheeling james stewart around in a uh wheelbarrow lawn chair type thing and and him later carrying tracy lord out of their their um their you know little evening uh dip in the pool um you know uh, like every everything feeds everything feeds into everything that is a, a shirt that is coming to the trial of shop we haven't had a new drop in a while so be on the lookout for that 
Yeah, I mean, I think that, like, the dialogue is sort of, it's better than if it could be summed up as quips, right? Because, like, the the power doesn't come from the uh, individual lines, it comes from exchanges between characters. Yes, so, like, yes. any individual line so often is terse and just a few lines long, but contextually it's hilarious. One of my favorites, and um, my junk drawer thought, I guess, was that I had to shout out um, Liz Embry, uh, who is uh, Jimmy Stewart's girlfriend kind of in this uh and the photographer at spy magazine she often gets the best one-liners because she has this really great character where she is like the the character who jimmy stewart thinks he is in that she's sort of like down to earth working class and actually sees what's what what's going on but also she's long suffering because her apparent sort of like working class boyfriend is like this firebrand sort of like a self-aggrandizing egotist who cannot slow down and just like marry her because he thinks that he like he's too self-involved right and so she gets mm-hmm. to have these these great moments where she kind of skewers everything one of my favorites is one of her first lines where um they're in the max's office the editor of spy magazine and jimmy stewart goes no, I don't hate you, Max. I don't like you very much, though. And then uh, Max goes like, and, and what about you, Miss Ombre? What do you think of me? And she says, oh, I can't afford to hate anybody, sir. I'm just a photographer. <laughs> it's like that, but podcaster instead was almost yeah, my and mine, too. Mine. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, uh, and like, it's because like, that's a fucking unbelievably good burn to like lay down on your boss. The person who's paying you. It's like she can't afford to hate him because he doesn't pay her enough to hate him. I, I love that. Um, she gets a lot of really good lines. Uh, but again, like, I think you're right, right? Like, I think so much of this comes from this sort of like rapid fire back and forth. But like, there were like lines that I was like on my feet about, right? It was like, oh my God, like, ooh, there's a lot of really great stingers. Um, there was another one. Uh, this is maybe not the best example, but I did find it just in a sort of another writerly flourish. I love when um, the, the uncle who is like another, he's like a literal pervert who keeps pinching people's butts but at one point he takes jimmy stewart away to like or uh, takes Cary grant away to make a sort of like potion to cure hangovers and he says that this thing is it's a concoction that would lift the eyes of a dead irishman <laughs> and i find it specifically that it's an irishman it's like you know like to bring somebody you to know. life is a hard thing but to bring an irishman to life after drinking <laughs> like that's really that's the really operative thing here. So yeah, lots of really good things. Um, Jason, I loved your shout out of uh, to behave naturally because it's like, it's such a writer's joke that it's mm. just like, oh, I'm going to remove a comma and it's going to change the meaning. And it's like, they pulled that shit off in a movie, right? It's like, you couldn't see the comma and they it's still so pulled it off. Good. Yeah, it's oh really good. There's uh, a lot of, like the the writing here absolutely deserved to win best yeah, screenplay, a little, I think. A little un, uh, unremarked thing by the end of the movie is um when he goes to the when uh, uh connor goes to the library and ends up seeing tracy there and researching him and reading his book and he goes in in the library and is, asks him like what art thou looking for or something like that and he's just completely bewildered he has no idea what she's talking why she's acting this way and he like sort of prompts again and she says the same thing and then he asks her dost thou have a washroom <laughs> thank thee <laughs> it's such a fucking like it's throwaway because nobody else in town acts like that. I laughed out loud at that again. It's, but again, I'm ruining it because it's Jimmy Stewart's incredibly just bemused, bewildered performance of this. Cause he's like making fun of her in the moment and she's not getting it. And he just keeps going with his, I don't know. It's like, he's winking at the audience the, for the a second. The way he just kind of like, yeah, 
does the little eye shift over oh past the bookcase. Oh my god, it's I so mean, good. Because so small, like so. I wonder how many times they had to do that to get him to like perfectly position himself. Very yes, very good. good, good. It's like weaponized Jimmy for comedy, right? For Especially real. <laughs> in in the first act, but really throughout, like even deep in the second act, when um Connor goes to visit. Uh, C.K. Dexter Haven's uh, apartment, and he's like looking at his bookshelf, and he pulls his own book off the shelf, and he's like, "Oh, is that my book? You've got unexpected depth." It's like <laughs> what a fucking pompous ass, but like it's so perfect. And like, yeah. uh, I, the only other thing I had to say is that there is one moment. Uh, this is a full Jimmy performance, full bore throughout. But like, we reach ultimate peak Jimmy when like he is. Uh, initially sort of surveying the house and going through room by room and he finds the uh, the wedding presents laid out on a table and he's just like looking at him and he's like oh it looks like they're running a hawk shop on the side and he, he picks up like a necklace and then the camera just sort of very deadpan like pans over and we see like a security guy or whatever, like a butler, just standing there, like arch straight, just staring him down. And Jimmy Stewart gives us like an ah, bah, bah, for like literally like a full <laughs> 60 seconds. It's like they were just like, you could see the director being like, keep going, Jimmy, keep doing it. And he's just like, bah, 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 bah. I was just looking and he puts it back. And it's just like they they knew they had to know that in 2022, they, we were going to be talking about the full Jimmy and we were going to bring up this moment. Inc- it's just perfect. Incredible. Uh, there's. Again, maybe just lauding Jimmy Stewart's performance in this movie, but uh, there's during that scene where he's drunk talking to Dexter in his apartment. Um, I don't know if you saw there was a uh, I didn't know this before watching this Twitter clip a few months ago, but where in that scene, he's uh, supposed to be drunk. Connor's supposed to be drunk um, and he starts hiccuping. And he did not, apparently Jimmy Stewart did not tell Cary Grant that he was going to do hiccups in the scene. Like, and they were just sort of it was one of the first runs of it. And just for a, a moment, you can see that Cary Grant has to turn away from the camera to like stifle a laugh to keep the scene going because it's mostly one take. And it's, I just don't. That's once, incredible. Once I contextualize, so wait a minute. I, I just, for some reason, it was one of those like the magic of watching a great performance. I never even yeah. assumed that he that he was faking hiccups because they seem so naturally and well placed. Well, and, and he, they play off of it. Like yes, at one point, yes. the first time Car- or, uh, Jimmy Stewart hiccups, um, like Cary Grant sort of mockingly hiccups too and then says, excuse me. Yeah. And Jimmy Stewart goes, what? <laughs> he goes, nothing. Because he's like, he's mocking. It's like, it so is, was that also ad-libbed? I have that's to assume. Crazy. I have to assume. Yeah. Oh, that's so good. It's, and yeah, you're right. It's like Jimmy Stewart is like, he's very over the top, but at the same time, like, you could have told me he really was drunk, right? It's like, yes, now that's very much. drunk very acting. Much. <laughs> it's great. Uh, cool. Um, if there aren't any other junk drawer thoughts i don't see any hands up so i think we can safely close that put the uh the soft like it's like a hook and latch but we're just putting a stick through it just so it stays closed we're not locking it this is open to anybody um honor system uh scouts honor uh but we do have one more segment of our show to get to um before we finally call it quits on this episode episode 203 guys uh and harry has to help us introduce it i would love to jason it is the segment we like to call <gasps> cody's noties Wow. Good yeah. Lord. Thank you for that introduction. I got that. Um, joke. I did Tracy get that. Lord. Good work. Yeah. Thank you. Good work. Yeah. Thanks. Um, and Jason, when you say scouts honor, were you actually a scout or is this a stolen valor situation? I what's, went to what's one day on of here? scouts. I watched a kid get his head stuck in the banister. I cried for my mom and I left. Never did Boy scouts cub. again. Boy cub. It was cub at that time. I was young enough that it was. I did cub. one day of cub as well. Yep. yep. No, no. I, I wasn't either. even a weebolo, baby. It was <laughs> just... Maybe like a season, but yeah, oh, I got boy. it. Yes. <laughs> 
thing. I did Cub Scouts all the way through the Weeblos, and that time in the Scouts is, has made me who I am today. Uh, and that person is, um, uh, it, someone who oversees a segment, and today that segment involves uh, indulging in another uh, instance, another episode, uh, another iteration of Trilibs. And which, uh, for those unaware, Trilibs is our attempt at recreating the world famous, the universe renowned game known as Mad Libs, where you take a story that has some blanks that need to be filled in with various parts parts of speech. You fill in those blanks, but you don't necessarily know what those blanks are pointing to. So by the end of it, you get a, a big zany romp uh, to share with your friends and loved ones and um, wedding guests that you maybe don't know super well. And so what I've done here is I put together a segment somewhat uh faintly vaguely uh based off of the um it's a story based off the the movie that we just finished talking about the philadelphia story from the year of our lord 1914 so what i'm going to do in the randomly chosen order of harry jason aaron and then going onward on a loop until we've filled out everything that needs to get filled out uh we'll we'll populate these blanks and uh we'll we'll see what results from from your efforts and those efforts today like i said we'll start with harry and harry from you, no pressure. I'm going to need a name. Name a name. Billy Bob. Billy Bob. Uh, no last or, name on that? Yeah. No, no. No, absolutely okay. not. Just, just Billy sure. Bob. You can supply... I mean, if you, in your mind's eye, when you're considering what this trilibs is going to look like, if you want to make a certain casting decision, that's you. But that's something that you're bringing to the fiction, not something I supplied. Yep. Uh, and hey, maybe by the end of it, this story will be stranger than fiction. Who's to say? Um, we're to say. Jason, from you, could I please get an adjective? Uh, gaunt. Gaunt. All right. I've locked it in. Uh, the Gaunt Man movies are another fun franchise of movies, <laughs> uh, that we'll, maybe we'll cover someday uh, if John schedules them. Uh, Aaron, from you, could I get a name? Uh, can I do Billy Bob Thornton, please? <laughs> this is going to be the most painful. This is the worst. I was hoping. Yet. I was hoping. Ooh. Well, yeah. Hey, uh, it's already etched into concrete. The the etcher took care of that one too sweet. So there's no going back. We've got a Billy Bob Thornton in the field. And we're back to Harry. And Harry, if you could please drop us uh, another adjective. That would be sublime. All right. Um, it doesn't have see. to be sublime. It can be any adjective. <laughs> alarmingly tall. Can I do that? Ooh, alarmingly tall. Sure, let's go for it. Uh, Jason, from you, can I please get an occupation? Type of occupation, type of job. A screenwriter. All righty. Righty. Moving right along, moving right along. Yeah, that's it. He could be a Southpaw. We don't know. Uh, Aaron, from you, can I please get the name of a previous Trilove guest? Uh, you know, you got to go uh, Nick Grossman. Uh, kind of the standard you gotta. answer. One day he yep. will stop haunting us and our long national nightmare yes. will be over. Yeah. Or maybe he'll join us again and then invoking his name will be slightly less weird. Um, Come and it's see not that up. weird anyway. Come and see up. It'll happen Ooh. eventually. I mean, what a it's not going to play at Trilon. I think, I think it was supposed to play yeah. at the Trilon, and yes, then the pandemic, pandemic happened. happened. Yeah. yeah. Damn. 
Well, all right. Well, we got to get that back. Uh, we uh, <laughs> the the Tri Love Horde is clamoring for a come and see episode. Um, so for the, if anybody listening has anything they if they hold any power in uh, in John Moret's, uh holy scheduling procedures, um, you know what to do. We uh, have to Harry- react, we have to reenact <laughs> that one tweet that's uh, live come and see reaction where all the podcasters or all the uh, YouTubers are just like making that like O face, <laughs> and then there's the. Did like horrible uh like thousand yard stare image from that movie oh mercy uh we have to do it and harry o face mackin uh you have to provide us with an adverb pretty please adverb um rapidly rapidly Nice. Uh, do, 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 do. Those have already been filled in. Spoilers. Jason, from you, can I please get an occupation? A. What? What is the name of the graveyard keepers? Are is there like a word for that? I feel like there's a word for graveyard keeper. Keep a graveyard. Under. Uh, undertaker. Um, we'll just go undertaker. I feel like there's a word for people who actually tend a graveyard, but I forget. We'll mm-hmm. go undertaker. Okay. Yeah. Uh, hmm. Yeah, that's a tough one. Yeah, my brain defaulted to Crypt Keeper and Undertaker and probably some other, you know, famous wrestlers uh, fit the bill. I don't know if there was a Crypt Keeper. There was an Undertaker. Shout out to Undertaker. Uh, and shout out to, to Aaron, who, uh, Aaron, from you, could I please get the, the name of a, a famous actor? Uh, George Clooney. Or, I was going to say, or a regular actor. Um, George Clooney uh, is both. So that's good um checked all the boxes there i'm going to vamp as i'm replacing this in a few places um spoilers again uh perfect back to you harry um harry from you could i get the name of a famous actor Ooh, um i'm gonna go with steve buscemi steve buscemi steve buscemi buscemi Steve yeah. when, when, is, when, is, when is the partnership coming between him and Big Booch? Do you think? No, all right. Uh, I think it's me next. Uh, right? No, I, I. Well, it is. I was trying to. I was trying to think of a good um, uh, follow up. Would it be that was it would as be funny or funnier? But I couldn't. B u c h c e m i, and it would just like have his smiling like face Steve with like Bucci, a thumbs yep. up. Maybe, Bucci. maybe different different flavors from his different characters. There would be like a purple one that was like Randy from Monsters Inc. There would be one that was just sort of like regular flavor. That would be his character from Fargo. Um, but like red, see. regular flavor, red, yeah, with, yeah, with splashes sort of strawberry. A, just in it. sort of a regular looking guy, right? <laughs> oh, kind of funny looking, a little, little bit of a freak. Uh, kind of funny. Uh, you know who's not a freak? Jason Daphnis on most days. And Jason, you are up next to give us a verb. Before, hopefully. before I do the verb, sexton is the word I was thinking of. A person who looks oh. after a church or churchyard, sometimes acting as a bell ringer or a grave digger. Anyway, hmm. a verb um, that doesn't sound hmm. real. A sexton? Hmm. That a sounds thing. like a naval thing. It's like a. Are you sure dom- you're not thinking of a some kind of a ship guy? I'm, it sounds like a ship guy to me. I don't know about that. Um, it's like Dompe from uh, uh, fucking Ocarina of Time. The guy who's just creeping yeah. around the graveyard. That's that, he's a sexton. Anyway, a verb. classic sexton. Going to go for dig. 
don't know where you got that from, but I've got that <laughs> locked in. We've got Dig. Um, shout out to arguably the most famous Sexton, and that's Colin Sexton. He's a, a guard for the Utah Jazz basketball team. Aaron, uh, from you, can I please get a noun? Um, uh, monkey. Very good. <laughs> uh, do, 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 do. Monkey, monkey. Um, I have no, uh, no segue, uh, except I do. Uh, hey, stop monkeying around, Harry. It's time for you to give us a, a verb. See, that was pretty clean. Nice. A verb? Yeah, a verb. Uh, let's, let's see. Skeedaddle. I like where we've Ski-daddle. gone here. This is, this is one of the more directly unhinged episodes yeah. of Cody's Noties. Yeah, pretty, dare I say, twisted. <gasps> uh jason from you uh, and uh, let's uh, hey simmer down on on the being twisted for for the rest of this fellas uh, can you do that for me uh that being said jason from you can i please get a type of appetizer uh oh my goodness i've had this aaron you might know it's like um little bits of uh of, of seafood um in like a sauce that you scoop onto things See, this is cool because I simply would have chosen a different appetizer that I no, didn't know the, the name of. One I but instead, we're going to try to live figure out uh, which appetizer Jason's referring to. We're talking about fish eggs. eggs. We literally talked about not, this. I'm not talking about fish eggs. A little fish egg. What's the fish? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ceviche. That was it. Oh, ceviche. You son of a bitch. I, I thought you were talking, talking about, about caviar. I thought you were talking about caviar. No, I know caviar. Also fish eggs. Ceviche, please. Ceviche. I-C-H-E. I I wrote it in a way that I because I don't know how to spell that, but I typed it out in a way that I can pronounce. Onion rings or uh, like fucking uh, French fries or something. Tots, yeah, sure. This is why Jason is is planning on not actually marrying you at the end of this film because you're you're just too he's too lowborn. That's true. Yeah, Yeah. too working class. I guess too podcast class. (laughs) Podcast class. MFR told him to stop being so twisted and he gives me a fucking SAT word to put into the goddamn noties. Uh, uh, Aaron, from you, can I please get a... <laughs> this is unintentional. You always get these, I feel. Uh, can I get a type of vehicle? Type of vehicle? Um, yeah. Uh, I'm going to do a Warthog from the Halo fi- uh, video game series. Nice. I'm typing the full thing out. Yep, um, thank you. Video game. What's the... It's uh, one that- word tech mm-hmm. truck or whatever the elon musk thing that cyber like, they, truck. oh the cyber the truck cyber truck. <laughs> i was gonna make truck. a aaron you can't put the cyber truck in every single one of I these i first of all i can so you know i can and i will and we will uh thank you aaron for that harry we're over to you can i please get an adjective let's see um trippingly Tripping, mm-hmm. trippingly, Tri- yeah. yeah, trippingly. An adjective, yeah. perfect. Uh, it can. Be. I was just gonna lop off the ly. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. I don't know what I don't know what you're tripping for, Jason. Go, but go it with is, strapping. Go with strapping if you would rather. If that's less challenging for Jason. Yeah, tripping is, uh, is a for. I'm sorry. I'll I call just... an audible in the moment. Okay. That's a yeah yeah. We'll we'll figure it out. Um, I don't know what you're tripping for, Jason, because you need to provide us with a a, a verb. You don't need to, but it would be nice if you did. Trip. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, excellent. All right. Was that ZZ Not... Top just now? I don't know the meaning <laughs> of was. those words. Yeah, it was. Of course, it was. 
Can't, can't a man grunt anymore without it being equivocated to a, a song? Uh, the answer is no. And I'm. I the day, they're not, uh, times are not like what they used to be, Cody. Yeah. Um, I've heard <laughs> a they man are a change. can't changing. even grunt anymore. <laughs> <laughs> this is what they do uh-huh. from us. <laughs> uh, uh, Aaron, from you. <laughs> also unintentional. Aaron, from you, can I please get a type of alcohol? Um. <clears throat> Oh, here Sick comes control. folks. Sick oh, control. God. Oh, no. Don't <laughs> do it, Aaron. Don't do it. Alcohol. Type of alcohol. Mm. I know you want to do it, Aaron. Just don't. You can't. Don't subject our trilib to this. Don't do it. Yeah, can I do control? Yeah. I'll do Jason. Yes. I, was, I was very sure he was going to go with Malort. No, can I do Malort I instead? Fuck out. Sorry, can I? <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's, let's do, do it. it. I, I locked it in. No, I hadn't. It hadn't been etched in concrete yet. Yeah. Also, yeah. you can't. You're not. Got nobody just really drinks Cointreau, so you put it in. You know, margaritas. Yeah. Or whatever. Nobody, nobody, nobody should drink Malort. <laughs> well, look, that some people aren't. You know, strong enough. It's fine. Hey, not maybe, maybe it's nobody not will drink everybody. it in this either. We don't know what's going on. Um, but Malort is on the table for better and or and for worse. Uh, we'll we'll see what happens. I think we're we're pretty near the end. Just got a couple more here, and I'm scanning these. I'm looking through. What, what do we got to clean up here, Harry? Can I get a noun from you? I don't know. Is it going to be good enough for Jason? That's my noun. It's Jason. Know until I, the end. Actually, that's a proper noun, so it wasn't good enough for Jason. <gasps> I'm going to go with. Uh, I could lowercase it. Then it would just be a common being. noun. Human and real. Yeah, I'm not gonna do that. Uh, but I, I will put down human being, and I did put down human being. And Jason, can I please get an adjective from you that I can put down here? Twirly, twirly, and finally, uh, I believe this is the final one. If not, it'll just be a fun thing for us to ad lib on the fly. Uh, but Aaron, from you, can I please get the name of a movie? Oh, uh, I'll go Top Gun. Brilliant. Yep. All righty. Well, thank you, gentlemen, for your assistance. We've now got a, a completed version of this to run through. And so without further ado, I present to you all Trilibs colon Kukorian Romance. <clears throat> Once upon a time, the wealthy Billy Bob was about to remarry. Their gaunt preferences and romantic partners had led them to Billy Bob Thornton, an alarmingly tall screenwriter. Nick Grossman, Billy Bob's ex-spouse, received word of the engagement. For as rapidly as their marriage went, deep down, Billy Bob and Nick Grossman were still in love with one another. Nick Grossman deputized uh, Undertakers George Clooney and Steve Buscemi to dig the fest- uh, to dig the festivities by posing as monkeys. On the day before the wedding, members of Billy Bob's inner circle began to arrive. To pass the time, they all went skedaddling and ate endless uh, ceviches. Nailed it. Nick Roseman gave Billy Bob a model warthog from the Halo video game series for a wedding present, but couldn't keep themselves from bringing up strapping memories from their time together. Furthermore, Billy Bob and George Clooney found themselves becoming attracted to one another after Billy Bob discovered George Clooney's talent for tripping. After a night of far too much malort, Billy Bob had a, uh, a revelation. Yeah, for for a second I was like, oh, that's a revelation. But it's a revelation. Uh, he had a revelation. For as much as Billy Bob loved Billy Bob Thornton, Billy Bob Thornton only saw Billy Bob as a human being, and so the marriage could never last. George Clooney was far too twirly and clearly destined to end up with Steve Buscemi. And so Billy Bob and Nick Roseman confessed their adoration for each other. They proceeded with the wedding ceremony. 
and concluded the evening with the screening of Top Gun, one of the truest visions of love that has ever been depicted on screen. Yeah. The I'll end. fucking say. Yeah. Oh, my God. Uh, it's just ceviche, but yeah. It, you know. You know, yeah. it, was funny. it was bothering. I I watched in real time when you said ceviches plural. Like Aaron's face, like crumbled. It like and, I like, I already he put was, like building up that for this into the entire rest of the <laughs> trilogy. Listen, like, oh I put God. an I put an S in <laughs> the document do because again? I knew I was gonna. I need to, to. I was gonna need. I needed to pluralize it. Stop fucking being too smart for the <laughs> goddamn noties. Three-syllable word, I motherfuckers. Respect appetizers, you know what I mean? But I don't degrade them, okay? A foundational part of any great dinner, you know? They deserve respect, too. Ceviche. The only, the only multiple-syllable appetizer that's allowable in the noties going forward is jalapeno Ceviche. poppers. Because that I, I can... Nice. I, I, know, I know how to... I know wait, 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 that's five syllables. One appetizer that's a single syllable. Tots. Ceviche. That's not, a, that's not the name. That's oh, not you the mean syllable. The yeah. yeah. T- Tots, yeah. commentator. You know? Wings. Yeah, wings. you're really getting your wings. ass ripped apart here. Okay, Tots doesn't count. I'll take Nuts. wings. Chips aren't a... Uh, what are you talking those about? Apps. Those are those are on the sides, not the apps. No, you don't just eat nuts Soup. on an apps. Soup's not... Soup's on a separate mm. side. That's not an appetizer. It can be. Hey, you can your fancy Chicago restaurant. Is it under appetizers? I, I, I love I that Aaron's so. whole bit here is there are no appetizers <laughs> that are a single syllable. There are no monosyllabic appetizers. Common Thank you for coming to my appetizers. Talk. I'm just going to like, listener, you're going to be subjected <laughs> to this. 25 classic American appetizers list on insanelygoodrecipes.com. Number one, uh, pigs in a blanket. <laughs> yeah, pigs, monosyllabic. Yeah. You know how you order those at a restaurant? First. Pigs in a blanket rock. <laughs> Yeah, no, it doesn't. Yeah, nobody dislikes it. Yeah, no. like it. yeah, of course. But what's your fucking problem, ceviche boy? Yeah, <laughs> crockpot buffalo chicken wings. Yeah. Fruit. That is pretty good. Seth makes a bomb ass uh, crockpot chicken uh, like dip. My God, sick stuff. And sick stuff to you, Cody. Thank you so much once again for ending every episode of Try Love that you're on with a wonderful edition of Cody's Noties. We did a fun thing back at episode 200. Oops, all noties. If you liked that, we all sort of imitated our own pale ghost imitations of Cody's Noties. And Cody just brought out one of the sincerest, broadest, funnest editions of Cody's Noties yet for that whole episode. Uh, check it out. And check out trylon.org for more uh, programming notes, including the rest of the series, um, Prototypes for the Rom-Com, playing all throughout December 2022. Uh, and then check out something for next year also. Um, we had a little bit of a mild scare that somebody might have perceived us uh, in our Gmail uh, when Harry said that we might have gotten an email from somebody about a guesting spot. Hey, uh, give us a heart attack and uh, send us an email at trylovepodcast at gmail.com or reach out on Twitter at trylovepodcast. Find the Trilon Cinema at Trilon Cinema. My name is Jason Daphnis. You can find me on Twitter at Doofus. That you can. Uh, thanks for listening. Um, another just soft recommendation. If you liked the Philadelphia story, go watch 1938's Holiday. Uh, I watched it um, a year ago, two years ago. Time has no meeting anymore. Um, but And it's one that I knew I was going to want to rewatch as soon as I finished watching it. Um, and I'm a little behind on that. But um, yeah, the, go check that out. Um, go check out the trial in cinema. Uh, it's pretty good and cool and fun. I've been Cody Narvison. You can find me on Twitter at Cody underscore BH. Wow. Movie recommendations. I feel I have to do one now too. I brought up Barbara Stanwyck before. Uh, this doesn't have a lot in common with the Philadelphia story, except that it's also a madcap comedy from around the same era. But uh, I really, really love the movie, the lady Eve. Um, check that one out. 
extremely fun. Barbara Stanwyck is very, very good in it. Uh, I've been Harry Mack, and you can find me on Twitter at Shiitake Harry. And I have been and am still Aaron. Uh, number uh, 11 on this 25 classic American appetizers list, Cowboy Crack Dip. <laughs> I'm on what? Twitter at RB Please. Oh, fries. We didn't say fries. That's monosyllabic. That's, that's, that's oh, whatever. Uh, shout out to the appetizers. Um, <clears throat> now, I'm, this is me getting ready for the last thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm just going to keep filling this I with hear, noise I mm-hmm. until I, no, I, until I say the end thing. Yeah. What about beans? <clears throat> beans are maybe an appetizer. Dip. Fucking dip, dude. <laughs> dip. Yeah, beans. Hey, can I just can I just get some beans? Like, <laughs> I'd, sir, what kind I'd of have beans some beans just... for sure. Yeah, dealer's choice, baby, beans. I can't let him say it. <sighs> this is one of those days that the pages of history teach us are best spent lying in bed. Mm-hmm.